to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Well, it finally happened. Jeremy left me alone with the podcast. Now, what kind of fun things can I do? But I'm serious. This week, Jeremy's off vacationing with his family, much uh, well-deserved and, and long overdue. And so this week, I was able to sit down with a, a non-traditional guest, if you will. I interviewed Richard Knuckles about Azure Data Engineering. It's a fascinating conversation. I really learned a lot. I hope you learn a lot as well. Next week, Jeremy will be back and we'll get into our news and community information as we usually do. But I hope you enjoyed this talk on Azure Data Engineering. Oh, and by the way, there are some goodies for our listeners. So stick around to the very end and I'll come back with information that you can get some of these goodies. So today on our show is Richard Knuckles. Welcome, Richard. Hello. Thanks for having me, Paul. So I am quite certain that your name will be somewhat new to our listeners. Obviously, we we cover development around Microsoft 365, and I tr trust me, everyone, this topic will be related. So can you first off uh, give yourself, please introduce yourself to uh, our listeners and tell us a little bit about who you are, what you've done, and what you're doing? Oh, sure. My name is Richard Knuckles, and I'm an IT professional, like probably most of your listeners. I've been in IT for 20 years now. Uh, I started out doing database and server support stuff and moved into programming uh, a while back. And I, in my day job, I mostly do web development and uh, database support and stuff like that. Uh, the last couple of years, though, uh, my company's been moving into Azure, like uh, a lot of companies, I think. I did some of the first websites that we migrated from on-premise stuff into the cloud. And we started looking at moving large sets of data logging into Azure as well. So I took on that project and implemented a, a big data analytics solution in Azure with some of the uh, built-in Microsoft products there. That's been uh, the last couple of years of my my work. Okay. And, and the topic that, that we uh, are covering is Azure Data Engineering. And you literally wrote the book on the subject, yes? That's right. I'm actually working on the book as we speak. I've been going on writing it for a few months. It's with Manning the publishers of lots of technology books out there and it's it's in early access release right now uh, chapter 6 just came out at the beginning of august yeah and so we'll certainly have a link to that early access uh, program so folks can learn more on our show but so let's dive into the the meat and potatoes right here first question obviously on my mind what is data engineering what does that mean Sure. Uh, data engineering is really closely associated with data science as well. I like to look at it as really baking in the systems that support all of this data. So I'd say data engineering as a statement, it uh, covers designing, deploying, and maintaining the infrastructure that supports uh, really high volumes of data and then also doing the processing over that data as efficiently as possible. 
philosophy. Right. So uh, this throws back what I remember back in the day, what we call the ETL process. Right? SQL Server was mm, had a tool to do that. This sounds vaguely similar. Is that right? Except maybe at a much bigger scale, I'm guessing. Yeah. Well, data engineering can cover the work that you do to support uh, traditional analytics processing with ETLs and relational databases. When you start moving into you know, so-called big data or data analytics in the cloud. And that's what I'm primarily con- uh, considering with this book is data engineering then involves how do you massively scale both the volume of the data that you're collecting and the volume of the data that you're processing or the scale of the systems that are processing it. And you really move from having a single database or a single server doing your ETL processing to having clusters with multiple nodes processing that, uh, those transforms, that data loads, and uh, all of these stuff that goes along with cleaning and prepping uh, the data. Okay, and so obviously um, the fact that there is data engineering or data science obviously indicates that the, that the scope of this. And so I want to just take a, a step at it, right? So I, I, I'm a developer and I'm writing some application or I've got some devices that are – I've written some code that runs on a device and it wants to talk to whatever, right? And now it seems to me there's many – pieces that are available to me to help, right? I don't necessarily have to do it all myself. That that seems fair, right? Microsoft has, Azure has has a ton of different options available to me, right? Sure. Azure has tons of options for, <laughs> for both storing the data and pulling the data in and through various interfaces. So is it easy to summarize or are we going to be talking for six hours if we try to go into the deal? Right. So I when I when I when I look at when I look at Azure and we mentioned this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. There, there's, there's this wall of icons of things, right? So how do I know what is the kind of thing I should look with? So can, let's just start with the beginner developer who doesn't know what he's doing. I've got some data that I'm outputting. What do I use it? What am I looking for in Azure that's going to help me then start to store that? And I went off through the whole thing. How do I get it from my output, my application outputting something to making it look pretty in Power BI? I mean, that's kind of like what where, well, the story that I, is that related to data engineering? I'm assuming that kind of fits in your wheelhouse, sure. right? That's uh, exactly what, what we're looking at, both the, either the beginning or the ending and some in the middle. So yeah. So yeah. So where do we start, right? So my application has either App Insights data or I'm in instrumentation or sort of logging that I'm doing, where do I put it first? What do I do yeah, first? You can start to look at wh- how you're collecting your data. Are you doing it via files? Or are you doing it incrementally as in like this event happened? And Azure's got really two, two or three main uh, ways you can get data in like that. If you're looking at files, you can put it in Azure Storage blobs, you can put it in Azure Data Lake. So those are file-based things where you might be having a system like IIS that logs to a file, and then you develop a process for shipping those files up. If you're a web developer or a desktop developer, an application developer who is dealing with individual events, um, you know, a user changing uh, something, interacting with your application, then you might be wanting to send the data to Azure as a stream, so it you know a, basically a not a unending list of individual events that are occurring that contain the data that you want to keep track of, and you've got a couple of ways to do that in Azure. 
Event Hubs is one of the big ways to do that. You could do it more simply as well with Azure Storage queues or uh, Service Bus queues. But Event Hubs is really set up for that high volume of uh, streaming data coming in. You can also do it with Cosmos DB now. It's that system as well is set up for streaming in really large chunks of uh, descriptive data in a stream as well. Yeah, the the change feed, I think, they, or the, the activity feed in Cosmos does something similar to that, right? Uh, yeah, I've you can get both the, that, right? yeah. the, the input and the output from the from the change feed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so I need the, the data capture and storage. I'm just summarizing here to make sure I understand it, right? So when you say file-based, that means I, I have a chunk of data that all at one time, and I don't. I just need to get it stored somewhere so my app can go on its life versus... I'm monitoring some system, and if 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 it something you know, I get an alert on a machine. I want to notify someone right away. That's more of the event type thing, a real time, right? Is yeah. That, if I get so that, yeah, okay. you can kind of split it into legacy systems, which log to files traditionally, or uh, new okay. development work as well, where you have control of how you're lo- how you're going to be logging the data. Yeah, and I guess it would relate whether you have internet connectivity all the time in your app or if it has an offline capability, you have one or the other type of thing, right? Okay, that, that kind of makes sense. So now that I've got this data stored somewhere, what do I do with it? <laughs> what the, what And what tool do, am I going to look at? The, the, I hear a lot about you know machine learning and, and all kinds of fancy stuff. I watch the TV where a drone flies over a farm and all of a sudden someone knows to turn on the hose so I can water my plants, right? So I, I assume that's all kind of the stuff in the middle, right? Yeah, I, that's the stuff I, in the middle. Where do I go to get started on that kind of thing? Well, you've got uh, really two ways you can run through the data at that point once you've got it into Azure. If you're looking at file-based stuff, you can uh, use ETL tools. You can spin up a, a big SQL Server instance, especially with managed instance now in Azure, and do a traditional ETL pipeline process like that. You can go sort of the open source route and do HD Insight or Databricks on uh, on Azure and read your files in and do batch processing with them that way. Or as I actually prefer, you can use a Microsoft tool that's similar to those called Data Lake Analytics, which reads files in from your data lake or your blob store and does batch processing over them. If you've gone the other way and you're working with a stream of data, so you're not, you're, if you're looking at file-based work, that typically has a time window where you have some lag between the time when the event occurred and the time you're processing it. If you're doing new development or you're working with streams of data now, you can actually get that real time. I'm streaming from the field right into the internet, right into the cloud, and then right to somebody's email that says, hey, we found this thing immediately. If you're doing that stream type of processing, if you're running with event hubs, you can stream that right into stream analytics. You can also pull up something like uh, Databricks and run, or HD Insight and run uh, Apache let's see, storm against a, a, a real-time stream of data. So those are, those are also, if you've got your data stored in either files or streams, then you have some really straightforward paths to either do batch processing or stream processing on them. Okay, and so that, but now I guess that's where it gets always ambiguous, right? The, the processing, right? There's no 
cut and dried thing, right? Is that going to be where I put my business specific logic in there? Is that the right place then? Well, it it depends exactly. If you're <laughs> using Power BI it. and you're wanting to move some of the the decision making off to your end users, then you probably want to do some aggregation in the in the mid tier. You might not want to put all of your business logic in there, but you might want to just grow from raw line by line data into uh, an aggregate over days or weeks or months. Whatever you know, whatever will work for your end user. If you're actually interested in generating output files, uh, a common output for a lot of the batch processing are CSV files, tabular files, stuff like that, then you can actually put your business logic right into the ETL processing. If you're actually wanting to get stuff out to a a data warehouse, for instance, as relational database work, you can actually put your business logic in in the mid tier or in the in the in tier where or the in tier being the uh, data warehouse or the big SQL database and then allow your traditional um, store procedures or views or whatever to uh, work over either raw or less raw data in your in your data warehouse yeah okay and so um that sounds like a typical what ETL would be because I have some goal in mind of how I want to present the data to either a report or a Power BI or the user is familiar. And how do I get the data in that format? Right. And that's where these analytics types jobs would come into into play. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there's there's kind of two main architectural uh, guides that you might use for this. Some of your, user, your listeners may have heard of these before. One's called Lambda which has both the batch processing and the stream processing. And those two paths for uh, logic for doing your uh, business logic come together at the end in your end user queries. The, there's another one called Kappa, which basically runs everything through stream processing. So you have a single path for getting your business logic in as try as basically an attempt to minimize the duplication of where you put your business logic. Both of them are intended to get the shortest latency into the data availability for your end users, either via streaming or via batch plus streaming. Okay. And then um, those are big fancy words. I presume I can read more about those in the book, right? (laughs) Sure. The the book is is really designed around... Um, Nathan Mars uh, Lambda architecture for for big data processing. Okay, and so another thing that, that caught my ear when you were describing some of this before is the the data lake analytics, right? So I, I use Stream Analytics, but it was reading stuff out of a blob store and and trying to manipulate it, and I remember delete, you know, taking the samples and deleting a lot of the time-based stuff because I didn't care about the time. I just wanted all the data, right? So it seems like perhaps uh, that might not be the best tool for the job. Is that fair enough to say? Yeah, I'd say stream analytics is really about the time. It's about what's happening, what are you looking at right now and what happened before? And that's actually a good place to, to bring in a bit of machine learning to try to say, what have I got now? What built up to this right now? And what can I guess about what's going to happen in the future? But 
stream analytics is really about that time, the the things that have built up over time, and the basically getting to the answer now, because it's it's really about processing. Uh, in memory and getting to a really short uh, analysis of of your set of data and then spitting it out to something. Uh, okay. So data Lake Analytics is the batch version, sort of that. It has a lot of the same features, actually, of Stream Analytics. One of the primary ones is that you write your stuff in SQL. That's that's one of the, okay. the, the bigger differences. And the well, I guess one of the primary uh decision points is, do you want your developers to use SQL to query your data? I know you, you're familiar with stream analytics, so you know you're writing a query in SQL and right. you're just trying to, you know, you're trying to do your aggregations, your checks, your uh, whatever your logic is for the for the data that you want to get out in SQL. You do the same thing with data lake analytics. You write SQL and you run through your set of files to get uh, your, your end output via SQL. Okay, certainly something for Paul to go back and look at. That's that's great. So then, now um, the uh, it, it, we we talked before about um, or at least I brought my ultimate goals, right? So I would need to show pretty pictures to somebody in something like Power BI, right? So I, I think at the end of this, if I, I'm reading in a stream or I'm reading in these batch files, at some point I need to store it somewhere at the back end, right? What what are my choices there for where I want to put things when I'm all all done? Well, you do have the same the same choices you have when you're putting the files up in the beginning. You can you can do it in blob storage storage accounts. You can do it in Data Lake, but you also have both from Data Lake Analytics and Stream Analytics, and to a lesser extent from the, the other tools, uh, streaming outputs to SQL, uh, whether it's SQL Database, Azure SQL Database, or Azure SQL Data Warehouse into, into Azure right there. Those are those are pretty easy endpoints to to write stuff out to. Stream Analytics itself also has a direct integration with Power BI, so you can you can write a dashboard that gets automatically updated with uh, data straight from Stream Analytics. Oh, like a real time watch what's happening type yeah. of system, right? Okay, yeah, that could be that could be fun. All right, so now. I have this whole big picture, right? So do you have experience or an example of how this all would fit together? Something, obviously, you might, at the top, you mentioned how you, you started working with your company to do those kind of things. Is there any, I, I guess, so give me a business scenario of, or if you can about what using all these pieces brought to, to the business. Okay. Yeah, we're... Our actual motivation for moving this uh, big set of data into Azure was a industry standard uh, reporting set called Counter, which is for um, institutional users of um, of content. And we're logging currently the Counter four uh, set of stats into our our regular, our traditional on-premise analytics system, the counter five set of stats, we're actually pushing all of our user tracking into Azure. And we actually use event hubs and stream analytics just as a straightforward pipeline to get data into, into files for batching. We're actually collecting a lot more information than we just need for the counter processing so that we can have in the future, we can go back and add 
uh, more and more report processing onto that raw data. But uh, after that, we use uh, data lake analytics on a monthly uh, process to aggregate all of that data that we've collected over the month. And we're getting... I don't know. It's something like a couple of terabytes of data a month that we that we run through uh, to process for this stuff, and then we actually stick that into a, a SQL database. We use Azure Data Factory to do all of the scheduling for running the jobs and migrating the data around, and then we have a, a an application that I wrote a, a web API to uh, application that's hosted on uh, Azure web apps that queries the data out of the database and returns the reports to the end users. So you used, you used everything on the list. That sounds, that sounds fascinating. Right. And, and again, I, uh, again, this is Paul just getting up to speed here. So in this scenario, you're using both the stream and the batch, right? So which kind yeah. of makes sense, right? Stream it in. And if I wanted to tweak that data using stream analytics before it gets into the batch file, I could, and then, okay. Yeah, that's, oh, that's an awesome, awesome thing. So now if I'm, if, uh, again, there's a lot of pieces, a lot of moving parts, uh, where do I start, right? <laughs> How would I get started on something like this? Just uh, or pointers. Yeah, a good place to start is really designing your data lake, designing your storage, how you're going to both keep this data for a long period and then actually use it when you're doing your processing. One of the things you really need to consider when you're working at big scales like this is partitioning. Theoretically, with both Lambda and Kappa architectures, the idea is the function is you can run over the entire set of data and get your question answered. It may take you know a really long time to run over all that data. <laughs> so most of the time, you're going to be doing that function as a subset of the total data. Oftentimes, you'll want to uh, group that stuff up by months or days or hours, or maybe you'll batch it. Maybe you'll uh, group it up by a particular client. Maybe you're a, a SaaS provider and you have you know hundreds of clients that actually use your stuff and you actually want to keep them separate. But planning out your storage, I think, is one of the, the biggest things where you'll get bang for your buck in the beginning, bang for the buck ongoing, and you won't be hit with the, the, the dreaded data swamp uh, six months down the road when you've collected 100 gigs or a, a, you know 10 terabytes or 100 terabytes of data. And now you've got 10,000 folders where, and you don't know where stuff is. Well, but if I get, now let's say hypothetically that I get in that swamp, right? Can I go back, right? And use like a data analytics and say, read those folders and reorganize them and, and re repartition? I, sure. I guess that's, there's Actually, a cost involved, right? right? Time and money, but yeah. And actually, that's, that is one thing you'll find when you start using Azure is you need to stop thinking about the upfront big cost, you know, your $50,000, $150,000 system that was had a giant server to run your database. In Azure, you're not nickel and dime. You're kind of like $0.10 cents and hundred, you know, $10, $100. So everything you can do, everything has a price, and it's, it requires thinking about what's the trade-off. And also, what's the what do I absolutely need to do? Because maybe I can run over the entire set of data, but maybe I only need to run over the set of data for this month or for that client. 
but yeah, Azure Data Lake Analytics is actually a, a pretty good tool for moving data around in your in your uh, data lake. Also, you can run you can either run jobs directly through it. You can use Data Factory to actually schedule your jobs, and you can also uh, one of the things we did as part of a process for maintaining and uh, keeping the data costs from spiraling out of control, we wrote a, a Azure function that actually goes into the data lake and sets an expiration date on all the files, like three years in the future. We figure that's far enough out that we're not going to have a whole lot of value for those files any longer, and we're not going to need to support them. So they're actually going to age out of the system. Yeah. Okay. And so that, that kind of you know, reminds me back in the day of the hierarchical storage that we used to do in the mainframe days, right? It, maybe you want to summarize the data and keep the summary, but the actual line item details at a certain point, I don't need anymore, right? I can let those wither. Um, now, is it common that you have to reorganize the data or repartition? I, I would imagine... It's impossible to know how, well, all the questions that people are going to ask about your data at the beginning, right? Yeah, that's actually one of the reasons why three years is sounds like a long time, but maybe it's not. You may we may actually change, you know, decide that we actually want to expire those in ten years. You know, we one of the one of the foundations of Lambda architecture and uh, Kappa architecture to some extent as well is keep your raw data, keep your raw data as long as you can. Because you have no, you know, hard limits on the amount of data that you can keep, like you had with your SAN. You know, if your SAN was, uh, you know, six terabytes this year, and it and it would actually you'd have to move to the next one to get another six terabytes. You actually have a hard limit on the amount of data you can keep with a data lake and with a Azure Data Lake or to some extent blob storage as well. You can just keep all the files that you want uh, in perpetuity. So you can actually decide, keep it all, but then structure your your folder structure, structure your hierarchy so that all of the aggregation products that you might be asking questions about last year are still stored in folders. But you can go back to the raw data and ask your questions again now that you have a new insight or some new questions that you want to ask. And you put those in a new set of folders according to how you've structured the, the base set in your data lake. It's, this is one of the things I, I go into in the book as well. It's called uh, the zones framework and that start, start out structuring your, um, your data lake in such a way that you get raw files, really raw files that are coming in of questionable um, correctness and then uh, move them into something where it's you've, you're really confident that the raw file, raw data in here is good. And then from that point, you can actually start asking your questions, hand the data to your data scientist, use something like uh, Azure Data Catalog to get more information and more metadata wrapped around these, uh, these files. And then actually all the, the aggregation output the uh, the user products that you might be generating from your raw data, you can put those in yet another zone of your storage. So you always know where's your raw data, where's your where's the new stuff coming in that's really raw, and what are the products that actually have generated value and we want to keep around for a while. Uh, yeah, that you know that's a great uh, approach, right? Which uh, 
And then I can see, I like how you mentioned your your data science scientist gets involved, right? Because typically, like I said, we're talking to developers in the most time, and, it, and it's okay to not know all the answers on this, right? I guess it, it's more important. But the thing I'm taking away here is if I'm, if I'm writing application code, it's important to capture this information for whatever whatever it is, whether it's instrumentation or logging or just whatever key metrics, and make sure it gets stored somewhere so that we have the option to use it later. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's, that's actually one of the things we found now that we have really unlimited storage is start keeping everything because you're, once you get a data scientist involved and they start asking questions and coming up with ideas – and once you get your business involved in, hey, can I actually find out what this user is doing? Can I find out what this group of users is doing? Can I find out actually how this system is performing uh, from you know two months ago? If you've got the raw data out there, you can set your data scientists loose on it and they can start asking questions and uh, getting stuff. But it, it really comes down to collecting a lot of data and collecting as much almost like horizontal data as you can instrumenting everything is is a really good place to start yes uh that that's uh, yeah again my I, my mind is blown so i just start thinking once you start talking through these details i can see the imagine just runs runs crazy so um the okay so uh this has all been wonderful stuff i i really like it there is there, what what since i'm an idiot when it comes to data engineering what question should i have asked you that i didn't get to yet? Is there anything else that you think that we would be helpful to someone who's either new to this or some more of a developer less of a data scientist person well probably the i'd say the one thing to consider is if you're looking at data engineering it doesn't mean that you're not going to run interesting queries you're not going to look through data and come up with questions that you might want to answer. I, I actually do that all the time. I get uh, business questions now and I'll run, uh, I'll, I'll write up a, a job in data lake analytics and answer a question based on some data. So that, that moves into the data scientist portion of it. And if you're a data scientist, don't think that you don't have to, or shouldn't dive into structuring folders or working with uh, tools like stream analytics because the, the there's some overlap between uh, both of these roles. I think, uh, let's see. I'll also say there's, you, you can probably choose the type of systems that you're going to implement based on the skills available in your company. If you're a an open source company and you really like using Apache software, you can still use Azure to do a lot of this stuff. You can stream stuff in with Apache Kafka to event hubs. You can use Jupyter Notebooks in Databricks. You can use you know, R programming or Python or a lot of the open source tools that you might use with uh, straight up Hadoop and Apache Spark and Apache Storm. Uh, technologies. You can go down that path of open source with Microsoft now in Azure. If you're a Microsoft shop, you can also do a straight up Microsoft technology. The ones that I'm talking about, since we're a Microsoft shop, I've been you know a Microsoft developer for many years now. I actually like the uh, those technologies better. And I find that one of the big tools or one of the big uh, boosts that Azure gives me is the integration across all these tools. Like like you heard before, I'm, you know I've got six different tools just to get something from 
one row to another row at the end. <laughs> but uh, using Azure with the, the Microsoft tools like Event Hubs and Data Lake Analytics and Data Factory, it actually gives me really smooth integration across the whole thing. So if you're a Microsoft shop, you might choose to use a different set of technology because your developers know SQL, your developers know C Sharp and how to put um, you know, a, a NuGet package onto, onto their code and then just it's really simple to send the data up. Or it's straightforward for somebody to understand uh, uSQL in Data Lake Analytics because they understand SQL and they understand C Sharp and these things blend together and and you can write your your jobs because you're familiar with that set of languages. Well, you know, that's interesting. I don't talk about it much, but yeah, you're right. Azure has gotten to the case where they don't they don't care what skill set you need or software you might have. They'll host whatever you need and and provide some value add in their specific products. So that's that's a great point as well. So uh, the, this has been fascinating and, and I really appreciate this. Is, is there a way if folks have questions and they want to reach out to you? Do you have a, a blog or are you on the social media? People can uh, reach out and find you. Yeah, actually, uh, I had a question from a, a reader of the early access of the book come to me through LinkedIn uh, a month ago or so. So you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Richard Knuckles out there, Azure, Azure uh, developer. I'm on there. Uh, also, I have my own personal website called uh, rknuckles.com. And uh, you can send me email through there, of course. I am on various social media. Uh, and I do I do plenty of other stuff out there. But uh LinkedIn's probably a good a good place to start. And if you're interested in the specific technologies that I'm writing about in the book, the book actually has a pretty good discussion uh, board as well. So that's all terrific stuff, and we'll uh, get links to all those places in the show notes. So uh, thanks, Richard. It was uh, fascinating. I really appreciate you taking time to come on, and I look forward to impre- impressing my boss with the, the, the things I learned today here. So awesome. Thanks a lot. Yep, you're welcome. Good to talk to you, Paul. So as we mentioned in the recording, Richard has written a book on Azure Data Engineering. It's published by Manning Press, and it's available through the Manning Early Access Program. Manning is providing a permanent discount code, good for all products and all formats, to listeners of the podcast. Use the code POD365D19 to get that discount code and you check out. And in addition, we have a limited supply of free ebook codes. If you'd like one of the free ebook codes, you have to get to this uh, right away. Uh, send a message on Twitter. That's M365 Dev Podcast on Twitter. Send in the message to us that you'd like the access code, and we'll follow you back and exchange information that you then need to get that code. So thanks for listening, and tell all your friends. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 